about two or three times a year, the Lord will impress upon my heart that attribute of our living God called His wrath. The last time I preached, I looked in my notes, and the last time I preached was on it was August 1st of 99. But all week long, after my devotional, I was reading and started the year reading in Matthew, in that third chapter, seventh verse, <coughs> hit me like a thunderbolt. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then along with that, that portion in Hebrews 6, 18, where it says, You who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. So we are to flee from the wrath of God. And we are flee to that refuge that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with us in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Let us read verses 26 through 31 and use verse 31 as our text this morning. Hebrews 10 verses 26 through 31. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore a punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that saith, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let us pray. My holy and righteous Father, as we come to Thee this morning, we praise Thee and adore Thee because all of Thy glorious attributes are like the colors of the rainbow. They all blend together. They all go to make up Thy nature and Thy character. They all spell out to us the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the God who sits upon the throne, judging from his throne in heaven. Those glorious attributes that we love, we love to meditate upon them. We love to bring them before thee and remind thee of thy glorious attributes. And we plead them in prayer. We preach about them. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you that you've laid upon our heart this glorious attribute of thy wrath. And we call it glorious because if thy wrath had not fell upon thine only Son, this poor sinner would be in hell. 
So we come to thee this morning, our Father, with the word you've laid upon our heart. Give us utterance by the Spirit. You know our weakness. You know our inability and our nothingness. And you know we have come resting our all in thee this morning to preach through us, to anoint us by thy Spirit, to take that word home to the hearts of men, all of our hearts. Then, my Father, as it all leads to the one thing we're going to do this morning, and that is to sit around the table and remember why our Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross. And as we drink the, the fruit of the vine and eat of the bread, typified his poured out blood and his rent flesh, we are reminded that of all of this was that you might deliver us from the wrath to come. And we praise you for it. And so we wait before you. My Father, would you be pleased by thy spirit at this hour to take away all prejudice in our hearts against this glorious attribute of thine and leave us at thy feet knowing that the God of all the earth doeth right. Thou canst make no mistake. And that the God of all the earth hates sin and that thou art of pure eyes and to behold or look upon iniquity except to punish it. And so we rest ourselves in thy hands. Each heart who will hear this morning, we rest them in your hands. Give us eyes to see with and ears to hear with and perceptive hearts to understand and that we will rest at thy feet giving thee glory for all that thou hast wrought for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in his precious name we pray. Amen. Our text reads, It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. That's the judgment of God against sin. Then the last verse of Hebrews 12 why is it a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God? For our God is a consuming fire. Now that the, that the wrath of God is one of the glorious attributes of the living God is everywhere, everywhere stated in the Word of God. If you would search it, you would find that the wrath of God, His anger against sin, the damnation of those who die outside of Christ is spoken of more in the Word of God than His love or mercy. Much is said, both by word and by illustration. For how could you read the story of the flood, or the story of the Sodom and Gomorrah, or the punishment of the Israelites in the wilderness for their unbelief for 40 years without understanding the wrath of God against sin. How would you look at what God did to Pharaoh 
and what God did to the Egyptians and how God brought judgment upon the Israelites over and over as we read throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament. And then when you come to the New Testament, our Lord spoke more about the judgment of God and the wrath of God than he did about the love of God. Search it out and you will find that that's truth. We must always reckon with that glorious attribute of the wrath of God because that's the reason the Lord Jesus Christ was sent into the world. If annihilation is true, that means when we die, we die like the beast of the field and there's nothing to be concerned about. Then why the cross? And why the shed blood in of our Lord Jesus Christ? And why the anger of God against His own Son? And why the warnings in God's Word for us to flee from the wrath to come? That there is indeed no judgment and no wrath. But the Word of God teaches it, and therefore we must preach it in preaching the whole counsel of God. I love to think of what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they came <coughs> to his baptism there in Matthew 3. He says, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And that expression, flee from the wrath to come, I praise God that he put Hebrews 6.18 into the Word. And he would tell us where to flee. Unto you who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before you. And that refuge is of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has provided a refuge in the wounds of his only Son. He has provided his own bosom to hide us in from his own wrath. For it already fell upon His only begotten Son at the cross. And then why did He give us that word there in 1 Thessalonians 1.10 where He said that who has delivered us from the wrath to come. We who according to Ephesians 2.3 said we were children of wrath born under the wrath of God because we were born sinners, then praise God He has sent His Son. We may be delivered from that wrath that we find ourselves under when we were born. Children of wrath even as others. And so He tells us to flee. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee unto the Lord Jesus Christ. For our God is a consuming fire. If God did not want us to hear and to be warned of His wrath and His judgment that is to come, why does He tell us in Revelation chapter 6 of what is going to happen when the judgment does come? 
He said, the heavens departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. For what reason? And from the wrath of the Lamb. And the next verse reads, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? He warns us then on the wrath that is to come. He gives us the setting of that great judgment that is going to take place. As our Lord Jesus Christ sits upon the great white throne, after the heavens and earth have passed away, and have found no place for anybody except those that are in Christ. And John said in Revelation 20 and 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then he tells us in chapter 21, verse 8 of Revelation, who is going to be cast into hell? Away from the presence of God. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Awesome. Very awesome. And all of this falls upon every impenitent soul. So it must be a fearful thing for impenitent souls then to come before God. Have you ever stopped to think of it? Fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. It must be a fearful thing for impenitent sinners to fall into God's hands when we remember the character of God as revealed in His judgment of old. Ever since the day when Adam fell, there have been but two exceptions, Enoch and Elijah, among the whole human race who has not been subject to the pains of sickness and death. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Wherefore, as by man, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And no death, and, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
with that expression in Hebrews chapter 9 as an appointment that each and every one of us is going to meet. I've been blessed of the Lord to live to a ripe old age. And I call 76 a ripe old age. But there's coming a day when I'm going to lay my head down and go. That's exactly what Hebrews 9.27 says. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Watch the 28th verse. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them, them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So there must be that love for Christ or we are cursed. The Lord cometh. And that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 16.22 says. He that loves not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. Maranatha. For the Lord cometh. And only those who love the Lord and are His by the new birth and are His by conversion and are His by the Holy Spirit taking up His abode in them. Only they <coughs> will be spared in the day of God's judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What kind of God do we deal with? <clears throat> How does the word speak of this God? This God who has that glorious attribute of wrath, and that means punishment against those who utterly and completely reject Him and will not come to Him? How does the Word speak of this God? Ask God to take all the prejudice out of your heart against such an attribute as illustrated in the wrath of God. Because, beloved, if my God did not hate sin, that he's not a God of love. He's not a God of holiness. He's not a God of righteousness. He's not a God of mercy. He does not hate sin. But because he hates sin, then mercy has been born. Mercy and peace have kissed each other. Righteousness comes forth. The mercy and righteousness have kissed each other and peace has been born. Listen to how the Word of God describes this God we have to deal with. Everyone of, every one of us will stand before Him. Every one of us will stand before Him in judgment down here, or we'll stand in judgment at the last great day before Him. For every sinner that is ever saved, he comes to stand before God in judgment. He comes to bring the wrath of God down upon him and he comes to tell God he's nothing but a hell-worthy sinner. 
That's all he is in the sight of God and in his own sight. And he deserves the wrath of God. He's a sinner that deserves the wrath of God. This is one thing the law does. It brings us to the place where we understand that we have broken God's law and therefore we stand before him as naked souls, lost, without God and without hope. This is the way God presents it. So we either stand down here in judgment before him and are saved by the grace of God because God in love to our never dying souls delivered us from going down to the pit because a ransom had been found. And that ransom is the Lord Jesus Christ. See how precious that blood is? See how precious that death is? See how precious in the sight of God is that blood shedding? And that's what I want you to think of as we come to the table this morning. What has God delivered me from? Why did he die? Listen to the character of this God of whom it is spoken of in Deuteronomy 32, beginning with verse 39, with these words. Mark these words now. This is the Word of God. This is the God who sits upon the throne. He's also the God of grace and of mercy, but He's also a God of wrath. Listen to it. See now that I, even I, am He and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I, watch it, if I wet my glittering sword, and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies, and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revengers upon the enemies. Right away the natural heart says, well, I don't want a God like that. That's the God of the Old Testament. I want the God of the New Testament, for love is spoken of. Well, wait a while. Do you want the God of the New Testament? Well, the very things that came from the lips of my Lord Jesus Christ. God, God manifested in the flesh. Look at what he said in Mark chapter 9. And these came from the lips of him who healed the sick and restored the sight to the blind and raised the dead, and offered himself as an offering upon the cross. Listen what he said. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to enter into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into halt, to li- enter, halt into life than having two feet to be cast 
in the hell, in the fire that never shall be quenched. I'm reading from Mark 9, verse 26 now. Where, the, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into the to hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. That's the lovely Lord Jesus speaking the same words as our as our <clears throat> as God the Father speaks in the other the, the other place. And then let me read you this. Listen to this. Matthew twenty two eleven. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had on a wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how camest thou in thither having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. God manifested in the flesh. Who is this God of wrath? Read Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And according to calculations, because of the long liberty of men in those days, 900 years and over, even up to 969 years Methuselah lived, calculated there were 15 billion people upon the earth in that day. I can believe it because there's 6 billion now. But the thoughts of the imagination of their hearts were continually evil before God. And God, they would not hear. They would not hear the righteous servants who came to them to preach. Noah was a prophet and a witness and a preacher against them. For 120 years he warned them to flee from the wrath that was to come. Enoch was a messenger from God. As long as he lived... After God saved him for 360 years, he preached and warned the people of what was to come. And what does he say? And Enoch also, reading from Jude 14, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. And why is he coming? Jude 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Every word shall be brought into judgment. And Enoch, who was the father of Methuselah, because God had told him in that name Methuselah when he dies, the flood, the deluge is coming. And God told Enoch, when this baby dies, I'm coming. In judgment. 
course, Methuselah lived to be the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years. And God, that's patience of God. That's the long-suffering of God. And Peter tells us that the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. And he did. Why? The Word of God also tells us that he has no, he has no delight in the death of the wicked. I don't try to reconcile all these scriptures. I just know that they're true. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't take delight in it. But because he is a just God and a holy God, and because he himself came and died in the place of sinners, in, in his only son, and his wrath was poured out upon him for sinners, what can he do? If he spared not his own son, how is he going to spare you or me if I'm not in that refuge, the Lord Jesus Christ, and washed in that blood and living and walking in a way of righteousness and true holiness? Oh, beloved, do you see this this morning? Yesterday afternoon and last night and this morning, I'm telling you, I can hardly... I could hardly do anything but mourn and groan. I said, Father, how can I go there without a broken heart to warn men of the judgment that's coming and what it did? And how many were saved out of that? Billions of people. Eight precious souls that went into the ark. Then if you go to the 19th chapter of Genesis and read the 19th chapter or what Peter says in 2 Peter 2.6 and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overflow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And what became the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? The Dead Sea. The fire came down from heaven. God warned them, flee from the wrath to come. And they laughed him to scorn. Would God do that? And the very sin <clears throat> that God damned Sodom and Gomorrah for is the same, men, same sin that men today are glorifying. The sin of sodomy, homosexuality, lesbian. And God calls them in His Word in Leviticus and in Numbers the same sin that brought the judgment of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah is going to bring this nation down too. Judgment's coming. What happened when Pharaoh 
hardened his heart against God and would not let his people go. God began to bring plague after plague after plague upon them. And two or three times it is said that Pharaoh got remorseful and said, I've sinned, and now take the plagues away. And as soon as they were gone, he went back to his rebellion against God. Until God says enough. So he tells the children of Israel to get a lamb, a male without blemish. Put it up for, for four days and then take it and take that blood and put it up on the doorpost of their house for the death angel was coming and they're going to slay the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, every household in Egypt that did not have the blood to cover them. Every beast, the firstborn of beasts, and the death angel came, and only those who spared were those that had the blood upon the doorpost. And only those in judgment to their judgment who will be spared is those who have been washed in the blood of Christ, by the Lamb. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the God of the Bible. Then God went further. When they tried to go through the Red Sea on dry ground like the Israelites did, the Egyptians plunged right on in after them. And when they had all gotten in there, then God told Moses to stretch his rod across. And all the waters that had been congealed began to come in. And the screams and the streaks began to go up. And all the whole army was gone. You know what God does with rebels? He'll go to the 16th chapter of Numbers. You'll find there the three men who were in the priesthood helped carry the very ark of God said to Moses and Aaron you take too much upon yourself God warned them they would not hear and Moses told them from the hands of the mouth of God tells them that if God doesn't do a new thing then I'm not God's servant they told the whole congregation to get back from them. And the earth opened up its mouth. And they all went down into hell alive. The judgment of God against sin. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Do you know what stirs my heart deeply? You know what once what breaks me down at his feet 
is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself tasted of that wrath and found out what a fearful thing it was to come under the judgment of a sin-avenging God. Beloved, the cross and the death of Christ was not a light thing. It couldn't be. And he spoke all about it. And I could read you scripture. I read you, already read you some scriptures. We could read you more and more telling you of all that, that what he said. <clears throat> well, let us go a little further. There are those who come along and make objections to this attribute of God, his glorious wrath. They said, how can you reconcile such an attribute with the love of God? And so from the fact that God is love, many draw the conclusions that he will never cast any of his creatures into endless woe. But there's one thing that man forgets, and it is this, that the Bible teaches it can never be any communion between light and darkness. Our God cannot have it. He cannot put up with both light and darkness. He tells us that. <clears throat> be ye not equal, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness? And what harmony hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? None. Light and darkness cannot mix. And light and darkness cannot mix with God. He's, he's light. That's one of his, his characteristics. He's a God of light. And therefore... He must punish sin. God says in His Word that He hates all workers of iniquity. That's in the fifth psalm. In the seventh psalm He says, God is angry with the, with the wicked every day. And therefore, we must understand that God is going to punish sin. Where does God's love come from? Where does God's mercy come from? Where does God's grace come from? Where does God's goodness come from? Those attributes which we love to speak about, they come from heaven. And you know the Word of God tells us in Romans 1.18 that the wrath of God is revealed from where? Heaven. It comes down upon the sons of men from the same place. Because he is just as much a God of justice as he is a God of mercy. And when men will not obey his voice and will not heed the, the invitation to come to Christ, then there's nothing left but the wrath of God. Then there are those who 
say that God is just. It is often said that God would be unjust to send any of his errant creatures to eternal perdition. But who are we to pass judgment upon the justice of the decisions of the all-wise and all-sufficient God? When God told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham began to pray, but he also said, The judge of all the earth doeth right. He can make no mistake. He doeth right. If you want to say it's cruel and hard, then, brother, go out to Calvary's cross and there spit in the face of the Son of God and tell God that he was hard and cruel in putting his own son to death that sinners might get saved. You do away with the cross when you do away with God's judgment and God's wrath. Because there's no use for it. There's no use for it. And then if you go would God's if, if, if man despised if a sinner has despised and rejected the eternal happiness and the eternal goodness of God, is there any reason why he should complain of the justice of God? Let me read to you in Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance? Watch it. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. In other words, he tells in verse 4 of Romans 2, it is the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering with sinners and his goodness that leads them to repentance and calls them to repentance. And if we, if we reject that offer, if we reject His Son, if we reject what God has done for us in Christ, if we turn our back upon Christ and the cross and all that He's done for us, and all of that mercy and grace and goodness that He shows to poor hell-deserving sinners, and we say, I don't want it. I'm going to live my life as I please, when I please, where I please, and how I please, and God, you stay out of it. Well, the fifth verse tells us that that man is doing nothing but storing up wrath against the, the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God against sin. Your next question, I know, is in your mind, what about the heathen who have never heard? Will you listen? It's in your Bible. It's in Romans chapter 2. Look what he says. Verse 14. For when the Gentiles or the heathen which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, watch it now, every man has a conscience, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. 
And you go back to chapter 1 and verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now Luke tells us in his gospel that there will be degrees of punishment in hell. For he that, that knoweth the will of God and did not do it, he should be punished with great stripes. And he that did not know his master's will and therefore didn't do it, he should be beaten with few stripes. Or you say, well, that's not fair. Brother, watch how you speak. Everything's of grace. And if it's our right, it's not of grace. We're nothing but ill-deserving, undeserving, ill-deserving sinners. Some believe that we are totally annihilated at death. And therefore, we shall not be punished. But God's word says it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this comes the judgment. And beloved, there's nowhere in the entire word of God that you can come up with any scripture that talks about annihilation. God, Christ left upon the pages of Holy Writ and this came from his lips. He gave us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Called it a real event or a parable. It doesn't make any difference what you call it. The truth is still there. That when the rich man died without Christ, in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. That's not annihilation. And there are those who speak of purgatory. That you go there next to hell... And you've got a little bit of grace of God, but there you are purged out. That's why they call it purgatory. To purge out the rest of your sins and finally you can get into heaven. It's been one of the greatest money-making schemes for Rome that ever was, ever was made. Praying for the dead to get them, out of, get them out of purgatory. Did you know that the Pope actually declared, did you read it in print? That the year 2000, the millennium, turned, as it turned over that if we did certain deeds this year, that God would give us more points, we wouldn't have to suffer that much in purgatory. Well, beloved, this one scripture puts all of that to rest. In the same portion in Luke chapter 16, when Abraham, when he had asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue for I'm tormented in this flame, Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Now watch verse 26. Mark it, and don't ever forget it, and don't ever be confounded by these purgatory people, because you have your feet on solid ground, and this is what it says. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, 
so that they which would pass from hence, as the Romans teach, Roman Catholic Church, to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from you. Brother, death seals it all. Where death finds you, eternity will hold you forever and forever. You will never find in the Word of God that there is an opportunity after death to get saved. You never can find it. Let me read it again. Beside all of this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So that settles the matter with me. And anyway, if there's such a thing as purgatory, why did the Lord Jesus die? Why did the Lord Jesus die? Why did God pour out His wrath upon Him? <clears throat> Why does He call the unsaved vipers and vessels of dishonor and vessels of wrath represented as, as, as dross? How can you compare that with that? I've read you a lot, but I've got to read you one more before I begin to bring this to a close. The first chapter, the first chapter of Proverbs will always stand out with me until God takes me to heaven and throughout eternity. It was amazing. My oldest son tells me, he says, Dad, he says, it's amazing how many times. But I was thinking of going off into sin. Invariably, you would take Proverbs 1 and read it to us for devotion. He told me that not too long ago. And it's a warning chapter. The thing I wanted to bring out, verse 24. And oh, beloved, you who are sitting here this morning, who have never tasted that the Lord is gracious, you who are sitting here this morning, who have heard the gospel over and over again, you have never responded to the gospel, you've become gospel-hardened as it was, and your heart is cold and dead and stony. You do not read the Word of God. You do not call upon the name of God. I want you to hear these words. They were put there for you. You're here this morning. I know you. You're here this morning. And listen to what he says in Proverbs 1.24. Listen to what he says now. This is the God of the Bible. The God who has an attribute called his wrath and his judgment. Listen to what he said. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded but you have said it not all my counsel, and would have none would not would none of my reproof. Watch it. Are you listening? Verse twenty six. 
I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mark when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall you call upon me, but I will not answer. You shall seek me early, but you shall not find me. How do you reconcile with that verse of scripture where it says he takes no delight in the death of the wicked? He doesn't. Don't try to reconcile any of them. It's see in the Word of God. And as I go through a subject like this, if I see it, I've got to pre- I've got to believe it. I've got to preach it. If I've got to stand to great white throne judgment and witness against some of you, I will have to do it. Because God called. And he would not answer. But the beauty part of this all is that all these wrath all of this pent-up anger against sin that God had waited and waited and waited and waited for. And he had not destroyed the entire earth that he had made. He waited for the time when he would send his son. And his son came at the set time made under the law that he might deliver us who were captives of the law who had broken the law that he might deliver us from the wrath to come. I want to use an illustration that I heard the other day. Oh, I got permission to use it. First time I ever heard this, it struck me. And this is what it was. He says that when the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, and the way into the holy place was open, that man might go in, was the shadow of what was happening at the cross. He didn't know that, but I, I needed that for this for this message this morning. During those three hours of darkness, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, when our Lord went to hell to pay for all of the sins of all of His people, it seems that His humanity was ripped from His Dhead, from His Godhead, and God just left Him alone for three hours to suffer the equivalent of all that he had to pay for it in his people. And beloved, if my God would rip his own son as the veil, and he said, we enter in by his blood and by his flesh, and his flesh suffered, his body suffered, and as it were, was rent in twain from top to bottom, 
for the awful judgment of God upon sin. Shouldn't that make me love Him? Shouldn't that make me want to bow at His feet more? Isn't that cause for a holy life? Isn't that cause for a daily giving my whole being unto my living God? Is that not cause for loving Him, loving Him, loving Him, and continuously telling Him that you love Him? And hearing Him come back and said, Well, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And having loved my own, I loved Him. I'll love you to the end. He'll never let us go. Rent in twain. As He gave Himself as a ransom for many. That's awful. And if God spared not His own Son, How will he spare those that are not in his son? And the invitations to come to him and flee to him as the refuge are many throughout the word of God. He even tells us, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That invitation is there. The invitation of Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he is near. Call ye upon him while he is near. He delights in us coming to Him. He delights in us seeking Him. He delights in us trusting Him. He delights in us taking Him at His word and coming to Him and casting ourselves upon Him continuously. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thought. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He tells us to come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest under your soul. Would you listen? Why apply this first of all to the unsaved and then to the saints of God? Remember these six things if you can. Follow me. Remember I'm speaking to those who are outside of Christ this morning. I want you to remember, first of all, that you are not yet standing at that judgment. You're still in the place of grace and of mercy. Christ has not come yet. You have not died yet. There is mercy to be had. You're not standing yet at that judgment, but you you will stand if you go out in the world, go out of this world in the conditions that that you are in this morning. Second, 
you're yet in the place where prayer will be heard. God will hear the cry of those that call upon him. He's never turned any of, any of them away. The invitation is there. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. You're still in the place where prayer will be heard. And that's grace. You're still where faith can be given and will be given and will save all who exercise it toward the Lord Jesus Christ. He that believeth in the Son of God hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not shall be damned. The wrath of God resteth upon him. But I say this morning that you're still in the place where faith can be exercised in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're still in the place where you can, by the grace of God, turn your back upon your unbelief and turn your back upon sin and turn your back upon the world and lay down your arms of rebellion and hoist the white flag of surrender and look to Christ, the refuge. You're still there. Then forth, you're still where the Spirit strives with the souls of men. Has he been striving this morning? He's been in our midst to strive with the souls of men. And you're here this morning. You're in that place where the Spirit strives. Oh, that you would hear and that you would live. You're still in the place where sin may be forgiven. God will have mercy and forgive you of your sins if you come to Him. He said He would. That's the reason He died for sinners, that He might cast their sins behind His back and cover them with, his, with the blood of Christ, those that come to him with the white flag of surrender, bowing all to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, resting all in his hands. You're still in the place where sins can be forgiven. You're not where the rich man in hell was. Then you're still in the place where grace reigns. Be no grace for the unsaved in the day of judgment. He tells us in Romans 5.21 As sin reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You're still in that day of grace. Tomorrow may be a day too late at least for you, and possibly for all mankind, because the judge is at the door. Seek mercy. Seek it immediately. Do not let the hour go by without seeking the mercy of the Lord. And could I speak a word to those who are coming to the table this morning? Listen to me now. May these words sink down deep into your heart and into my heart as we come to the table this morning. As you come, remember what you have heard this morning and how that you as a child of wrath have been delivered from the wrath of God. Remember that. When you drink the fruit of the vine and when you 
Eat that bread which typifies the flesh of Christ rent for you. Remember that you who were a child of wrath have been delivered from the wrath to come. Remember that you've been brought into the liberty of the sons of God. Not liberty to sin, but liberty to do what you could not do before. And that was walk in a way of righteousness and true holiness. Remember the blood shed for the remission of your sins. Remember the price the Lord Jesus Christ paid for your redemption. As you come, remember that that same blood that was shed at Calvary's cross speaks for you right now within the veil in heaven. And remember, He is coming again. Well, that's one reason why we take the supper and the elements. Remember His death till He comes again. He's coming. And remember what the resurrection of the righteous will be to be made in His likeness forever and forever. We shall see Him as He is. And rejoice with Him as He is. Forever and forever. I've got to read you this scripture. We've stuck with the Word of God this morning. You've got to vouch for that. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrowing, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. I stay in it constantly. There's not a, there's not a time, day or night, that I'm not in pain. But the former things are passed away. And he's going to make all things no. So remember, He desires for you to walk in the pathway of righteousness and true holiness, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, and to keep yourself in the love of God. And all of this is possible because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. That's the word God laid on my heart this morning. I've exhorted you. I've pled with you. I've brought before you the word of God. And what I brought before you from the word of God is truth. And I praise Him. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb 
at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N Alberta abbreviated capital A capital B Canada T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7:31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.